Hi, and welcome to the Fire Inspired Young Apostolic Podcast, or FIRE for short. My name is Brother Matt Smith, and uh, we are talking about our journey to Easter, and we're looking at the cross, and we understand that the cross is one of the themes of Easter. We understand that it, it's the empty tomb, but the cross is leading up to the tomb, and so uh, today we're, we're talking about the victory at the cross, and we had spent the last two lessons talking about the commitment to the cross and the journey to the cross. And uh, you might be saying, well, why are we talking about the cross? Well, in the world in which we live in, in society, the cross is a freely displayed uh, symbol. Uh, It's freely displayed on our cars, in our homes, uh, in our text messages, on our social media. Um, But do we really understand and do we really... um, do we really know what it really stands for? And so, in these lessons, uh, we're looking at we're looking at Easter and the cross that's behind Easter, and we're looking at it as more than just a legend. And it's and looking at it more than just a Sunday that we've picked aside to to celebrate our risen Lord, but that it. It is important in our in our lives every day. So in our in our lesson today at Victory at the Cross, the main message I'd like to get across is we have access to salvation and eternal joy through the Holy Ghost because of Jesus' submission to the cross. So before we begin, I'd like to talk about someone important have you ever heard the song amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me you may have heard it at a funeral a wedding perhaps maybe at your at your own church well do you know who wrote it if you do that's great if you don't his name is john newton let me tell you a little bit about john newton At an early age, John learned the ways of a sea. And as a young man, he was forced into the naval service. And after an escape attempt and time spent serving an abusive slave trader, John was finally rescued and able to return to England. And not long after that, he, he himself became a slave trader. And it wasn't until he was delivered from a violent storm on the sea and then healed from a dire illness that John followed the Lord Jesus Christ and embraced Christianity. And even after that, he continued in the slave trade even though later John admitted he was indifferent towards the slaves. They were often treated with cruelty. John was a slave trader until sickness forced him to stop. And it wasn't until he became an Anglican priest that he regretted his involvement in the slave trade. You see, the Bible, just like John Newton, the Bible is filled with all kinds of people 
and good examples of of different men and women who have made terrible choices but were forgiven by God and went on to live lives that made a difference in their generation, lives full of impact. Just like that, we can say that Jesus' atoning death, his sacrifice upon the cross, made it possible for us to approach God even after committing terrible, terrible sins. And so, in our last lesson, we had talked about him being arrested and being led away to be crucified. And in this lesson, I'd like to start it off with him being crucified. You see, Jesus was broken and bloodied from being whipped, beaten, hit on, spat on, and put a crown of thorns on. After all that, he was forced to carry his own cross. For crucifixions, there was usually, according to tradition, a permanent stake already in the ground. So, perhaps possibly the part that Jesus carried could have possibly been a crossbar. And it could have weighed somewhere between 50 to 75 pounds, give or take, or maybe more. And according, again, to tradition, the crossbar would be hoisted to the stake to form a cross. On the way to the execution site, it said that Jesus fell. And the soldiers, seeing that Jesus couldn't carry his cross, came upon Simon the Cyrene. And they grabbed Simon and they forced him to carry the cross for Jesus. And you might say, well, why? Probably because Jesus was too weak to carry the cross for himself. A large number of people followed Jesus, including women that were mourning. And Jesus told them not to weep for him but to weep for themselves and for their children. On the way, on the way there, Jesus walked down the road until he came to a place called Golgotha, which being interpreted is called the place of the skull. The shape of the hill Could have been in, if you look at a picture of it, kind of resembles the shape or the outline of a human skull. In other parts of the scripture, Calvary, which is a third name for this hill, is used. And this word was derived from the Latin name for Golgotha. Jesus was offered wine mixed with myrrh and gall or vinegar and when he tasted it he refused it 
see, you might say, well, why would they even do that? You see, Jesus was this drink offering that was offered to Jesus was a, was a fulfillment of one of King David's prophecies. During, and this came to David during a painful trial. And David, in the Psalms that he wrote, cried that his enemies gave him gall and vinegar to quench his thirst. We find this in Psalms 69, verses 16 through 21, where it says, Hear me, O Lord, for thy loving kindness is good. Turn unto me according, according to the multitudes of thy tender mercies, and hide not thy face from thy servant. For I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it, and deliver me because of my enemy. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart. And I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity. But there was none. And for the comforters. But I found none. They gave me also gall. For my meat. And in thirst. They gave me vinegar. To drink. You see during that time. During that. During. During crucifixions, criminals were commonly given a mixture of wine and gall to ease their sufferings. But Jesus did not want his senses to be numbed. See, during this, during this, it would it would cause them not to feel as much pain and die more quickly. But Jesus didn't want that to take place in him. He didn't want to die from from this type of poisoning and this type of numb. You see. No man could have taken his life. Because he was determined. And he had told his disciples that he would give it willfully with his precise timing. You see, God wanted everything that the devil, the world, and sin could throw at him. And he, and he didn't want to take no shortcuts. Because if he'd have taken some kind of shortcut. That'd be one thing that wouldn't be covered by his blood. But he wanted everything that hell, devil, and the sin of this world could throw at him. So that we could stand victorious and say that the blood could cover it. You see, Jesus told his disciples that he would he would give his life willfully. And with... And with and no man could take it. In John the seventeenth chapter or tenth chapter, seventeen through eighteen, it says, Therefore doth my father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. You see, Jesus' purpose for coming to earth was to become the ultimate spotless lamb 
for the sin sacrifice that was needed for this world. And in order to do that, Jesus had to refuse any easy way out. You see, crucifixion was not a neat and tidy thing as the paintings so often perhaps maybe betray it. Crucifixion was one of the most agonizing ways for a person to die. Let me uh, let me describe what crucifixion usually, what happened usually during it. Normally, a person would be laid upon a crossbeam, and a nail would be driven through either their hand or their wrist. And we understand that through the scripture, the Bible says that a nail was put through the hand of Jesus. Then the other hand would be pulled very tightly. And a six to eight inch nail would be driven again in either the hand or the wrist. And as the scripture again plainly points out, Jesus was, it was driven through his hand, the palm of his hand. The nail oftentimes would sever the the medial nerve in and it would usually cause whether whether wherever the nail went it would cause burning pain and paralysis in the hand once lifted to the cross the victim's feet or heel bone was nailed. His knees were bent and his feet were brought upon a flat a flat against the stake so they could be nailed down. Once fully suspended, gravity Pulled the weight of the body downward, dislocating the victim's shoulders and elbows in ripping any ligaments or tendons. The outstretched position of the arms caused the, caused the victim's chest cavity to stay expanded making it very difficult to breathe. In Jesus, having already enduring the whipping, the beating, the mocking, and the long hours that they had kept him awake, it is possible that he could have been dehydrating and suffered and was suffering from severe blood loss. As any victim, Jesus had to push up on the nail that was driven into his feet to allow room for his chest to expand in order to inhale. In the process of inhaling and exhaling, the process of pushing up and down on the nail in his feet and pulling in the nails in his hands would increase 
in the intensity of pain as time passed. Eventually, most victims of crucifixion died from the heart rupturing, beating too much to try to make up for the last uh, loss of blood or they would die of suffocation. So as you can see, Jesus died a very horrible, very painful death. After crucifying our Lord and Savior as he hung there between heaven and earth, the Bible tells us that the soldiers divided his clothes among themselves. They did this to fulfill the prophecy that was written over, over at least 400 years ago in Psalms 22. In 18 it says, And they parted my garments among them, and cast lots upon my vesture, or upon my clothes, or garments. Not only that, but above Jesus' head, Pilate had placed a sign stating the charges against him, which read basically, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus' crucifixion happened on the, on the third hour, which is about 9 a.m. He was crucified between two robbers. And there's significance in when Jesus was crucified because it was Jewish practice to sacrifice two perfect unblemished lambs every day. These lambs were called the Tamid lambs in that time and in that custom. We find this in Exodus. Exodus the 29th chapter. In verses 38 through 42 and it reads now this is that which thou shalt offer upon the altar two lambs of the first year day by day continually the one lamb thou shalt offer in the morning and the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening and the and with the one lamb a tenth of a dill of flour mingled with the fourth part of a hen of beaten oil, and the fourth part of a hen of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb thou shalt offer at evening, and thou shalt do thereunto according to the meat offering of the morning, and according to the drink offering thereof, for a sweet Savior, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet you to speak there unto thee. Now you might be saying, what, is a, what does tamid mean? Tamid is a Hebrew term meaning regularly or continually. One lamb was sacrificed in the morning and one in the evening.
So as we look at Jesus going to the cross at the third hour or 9 a.m., Jesus was nailed to this cross as the first continually or regular or to mid-lamb was being offered in the temple. Mark the 8th chapter. In the 35th verse it says, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the gospels, the same shall save it. Jesus lived and died by what he taught his disciples. Those who lose their life for the sake of the gospel's plan will save it. The, the crowd at Jesus' feet cheered and mocked and made fun of him and asked him to save for him to save his own life and technically he could have but without the spilling of his blood we would be lost in our sins hebrews 9 and 22 tells tells us like this In almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness of sins. And hanging on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. According to Luke 23 and 34. If they had truly known who Jesus was God manifested in the flesh the supreme sacrifice the one that said in the beginning let there be and there was the one that had brought them through the Red Sea the one that had that had given them the commandments from on high if they had known who he was they would have not crucified the Lord of glory that's what Paul said in first Corinthians Two and eight, it says it like this, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would have, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. So let's talk about the first hour that Jesus was on the cross, from noon to three p.m. Darkness spread across the land. At the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., Jesus cried in a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is another reference. And we can find this in Mark 15 and 34. But this is a this is another reference and another prophecy or a prophetic word from David in Psalms the twenty second chapter. In the first verse it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words 
of my roarings. When he bored our sins, Jesus experienced a profound sense of abandonment. As in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' fleshly side, his human spirit prayed, not the divine part of him, but his natural. You see, Jesus was more than an Old Testament sacrifice. He died in our place and experienced death that we should have deserved. And the death of Jesus, or the death Jesus tasted on the cross, wasn't just a physical death, but it was also a spiritual. It involved separation from God. No one alive has felt spiritual death in its fullest degree because we all live, move, and have our being in God. But Jesus tasted ultimate death, the separation from God that a sinner will feel in hell. And while Jesus was on the cross, he cried out because he was taking on the sins of the world. And he was experiencing the eternal punishment of the separation from sin brings in our lives. In John 19 and 24, Jesus said, I thirst. So he was offered a sponge with wine vinegar to drink. Unlike wine, gall, and the myrrh mixture, this one would not dull his senses. It would allow his throat moisture to bring forth his last words. As we find in Luke 23 and 46 and John 19 and 30. And when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up the ghost, according to John 19 and 30. Luke 23 and 46 tells it like this. It says, And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said thus he gave up the ghost the words translated it is finished which in in the greek is tetelestia signifies a full payment of transaction the discharge of a debt so you might be saying, well, what was finished? The mission of Jesus Christ. God wrapped in flesh to die a death of a substitute for a sinful people. The ultimate sacrifice 
Jesus' death completed the transaction that paid our debt of sin in full. At 3 p.m., as the second to mid lamb was being sacrificed, Jesus breathed his last breath. The next day was Sabbath, so the Jews did not want bodies left on the cross. They asked Pilate to have the legs of the criminals broken and their bodies taken down. And the soldiers came and broke the legs of the men who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, seeing that he, he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Again, this is a fulfillment of scripture that Jesus' bones would not be broken according to the psalmist David in Psalms 34 and 20. It says, He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Because crucifixion caused such a such a excruciating slow death, the Romans would have expected to find Jesus still alive. But again, no man would take Jesus' life. He gave it willingly. He chose the moment to stop fighting for it. The Bible tells us that a sword pierced, pierced Jesus' side with a spear, which produced a flow of blood and water. And again, this was a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, as we see in Zechariah 12 and 10, where it says, And I will pour, it says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitations of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. And they shall look upon me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. A flow of water and blood. is also consistent with the medical with medical evidence according to the Holman Bible handbook several factors in, including immersed blood loss immense blood loss and Jesus asking for a drink points to hyperbolic shock and prior to death According to most medical uh, evidence and science, hyper, hypervolic shock causes fluid to gather in the sac around the heart and around the lungs. So at the moment Jesus died, something amazing happened. The curtain in the temple, which is known as the veil, was torn from top to bottom. The curtain veiled 
the most holy place, a sacred place only for the high priests, and only they could enter in. The ripping of the veil symbolized the new, intimate access with which all humanity could now approach God. They could go directly into the throne room where God would reign over his people. God was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to himself, as we find in Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter and the nineteenth verse. It says it like this To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing not counting their trespass unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, the word of atonement, the word of being made whole. You see, at Jesus' death, there was an earth earthquake, and tombs broke open. The centurion in charge of Jesus' crucifixion and those guarding Jesus were terrified. Being so terrified at what they had saw, they, they realized something. The centurion said, said these words, Truly this was the Son of God. The centurions, who were Gentiles, recognized what the Jews had failed to see. Today, in some measure, we can relate to this intense moment. Have you ever felt felt forsaken by God? Believe it or not, He hasn't forsaken you. But sometimes we do have that feeling. But aren't you glad that He hasn't ever done that? And let's be honest, when things aren't going our way, sometimes it's hard to believe and trust in God. But why? Because, let's be honest, we, we always want, we want it easy. We don't want it hard. But there's a lot we can learn from Jesus' feeling of abandonment on the cross. And what is that? you got to keep on keeping on. Even though it's not going your way, you still got to keep walking the walk. So how did, so... Victory at the cross started with the crucifixion and went on through to the last hour upon the cross. And the victory of the cross came through the spotless lamb. The Jews didn't realize 
that by orchestrating Jesus' crucifixion, they were offering the lamb that would replace their timid and Passover sacrifice once and for all. 1 Corinthians, the 5th chapter and the 7th verse, refers to Jesus as the Passover lamb. In Revelations, the 13th chapter and the 8th verse, Jesus is called the is called the lamb from the foundation uh, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world in the mind of god jesus was uh, destined to go to the cross from the beginning of time in his sinless body offered the ultimate uh, ultimate atonement and sacrifice For our sins. On the Israelites last night in Egypt, the Passover lamb's blood caused the destroyer, the death angel, to pass over their house. We symbolically apply Jesus' blood to our lives through belief and obedience to his word. This saves us from the eternal death and causes God's judgment to pass over us, as we find in Hebrews, the ninth chapter, 12 through 14. And as the first Passover marked Israel's release from slavery, the death of Christ marks our release from the slavery of sins. An annual feast commemorates the first Passover, taking communion memorializes the Lord's death as according to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter and the 26th verse. So, the victory at the cross came by the spotless lamb. But what does it do for us? Victory at the cross through the spotless lamb brings about victorious living. If you are suffering from condemnation and guilt over the things you have done, you can be free and free indeed. Freedom requires repentance and obedience. Well, what does the word say? The word says to repent. That means to turn back on your sins, to turn away from your sins. To acknowledge your sins, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, as according to, to Acts 2 and 38, for the forgiveness of those sins that you've asked God to forgive you for. And then thirdly, asking God to fill you with that Holy Ghost power, that comforter that he said that he would send after he had went away. And when it comes, you will get you will feel the joy of the Lord and you will begin to speak with a new tongue. Speaking as they did in on the day of Pentecost when the Bible says and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. But you see, sometimes the devil taunts Christians with their past mistakes 
And believe it or not, he'll do that to you too, young people. Repeatedly throwing up those shameful memories in our face. But Romans, the 8th chapter, in the first verse says, There, there is therefore no condemnation. In other words, there is, there is therefore no death sentence to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Joy is a trait of a healthy Christian, and condemnation and guilt are not. You see, Satan want, wants to make you feel as if you are a hopeless sinner, but Jesus offers hope. We are not worthy of God's grace and love, yet he offered these freely to them that believe, and that those who would call upon his name. The blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from our sinful nature within, according to 1 John 1, 7-9. When we acknowledge, when when you and me acknowledges our issues, acknowledges our sins and our failures, and we submit to God. Again, as Acts two and thirty eight says, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, and we are restored to a, a life victoriously. So the victory at the cross came by a spotless lamb so that we can live victoriously so we can experience no greater love than that. People often wonder why Christ had to die. Though God technically could have stopped the crucifixion, that was not his final plan. God's ways and ideas are impossible for our human minds to even begin to comprehend. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us that His ways are not our ways and His thoughts are not our thoughts. We will never fully understand or know the mind of God. And we are not asked to. Our job is to have faith in His judgment, in His ways, And just to follow him where he leads. 1 Corinthians. The 5th chapter. 1 Corinthians the 5th chapter and the 21st verse. Oh I'm sorry this is 2 Corinthians. I, I misread my notes I'm sorry. Second uh, Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and the twenty-first verse. It says, "For he hath made him to be sin for us," referring to Jesus, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. First Peter, First Peter two and twenty-four. teaches us and tells us it like this. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on, on the tree, 
that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. God is holy and cannot dwell with sin. And the punishment for sin is death. Atonement being made right in the sight of God has always required innocent blood to be spilt. So you see, Jesus had to die because he was our holy God robed in flesh. The only one who had ever been pure enough to atone, to cover, to make us clean, to free us from our sin. So God's love for you is so powerful and it's a love that you can never fathom. It's unfathomable. John, the 15th chapter. John, the 15th chapter. Starting in the 12th verse through the 14th. It says, This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And ye are my friends. If ye do whatsoever I command you. Jesus suffered an unimaginable torment and suffering in his body when he went to the cross of Calvary. He didn't just experience it in his body, but in his mind and spirit. So that you could, so that you would not have to. You see, he loves you more than you can ever imagine. More than anyone else could ever love you. And thanks to Calvary. Thanks to that victory on that day. Through the cross that stood at Golgotha's hill. You are able to experience the power of God for yourself in your heart. And you can live a life free from sin and spend all eternity with Christ up in heaven. Doesn't that, doesn't that make you feel so excited that you can live victorious? And free from sin. Because victory was won. At the cross. For you. On that day. And that we have access. To a holy God. We don't have to go to someone else. We can go directly. To the horse's mouth so to speak. We can go directly to his. Very throne room. And we can make our petition known. To him. With that being said, that's all the time we have for today. And I pray that this lesson has blessed you. And tomorrow will be uh, Easter Sunday. And uh, later that e evening, I'll, I'll post our last um, our last lesson, or our last devotional, I guess you could say it, as a as our journey through a journey through and to Easter by way of the cross. And we've talked about 
the journey to the cross, the commitment to the cross, and the victory that came at the cross. And tomorrow, we will be talking about the message of the cross that is being spread all over this land, from church to church, as the body of Christ unites on this on that wonderful day to tell the world that there is a risen Savior who loved them, who cared for them, and who died for them so that they would not be lost. So tune in to the next episode, I pray you, for a time to experience Easter for yourself as we journey our way through the cross, looking at the Easter promise. God bless, and pray that you have a great, great time in the Lord.